0: Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. There it is, the wonderful map of the wonderful world.
1: Just looking at it makes me feel like I'm already there.
0: And this is just the lobby. Wait until we actually get inside. It's like the entire world of Oz pulls you in before you even sit down.
1: I guess when you're backed by universal pictures, you can do big things like that.
0: Exactly, mind your step. We've got three of these escalators to ride before we get to our seats, which reminds me, I want to hit the boutique during an intermission. They are always adding merchandise that is different and unique.
1: You can do that while I get one of their new drinks.
0: And we're here. After you.
1: Thank you. There it is, spilling off the stage and into the theater. Not a single detail is overlooked or out of place.
0: They went all in on this show, and it does not disappoint. Just like the show has never let us down.
1: Well, let's get settled down and settled in for the exciting performance. everyone and welcome to stage whisper i'm your host hope bird and with me is my co-host andrew cortez
0: today we are going to be discussing the smash hit musical wicked
1: so hurry and take your seats it looks like the show is starting
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper.
1: Today, we are inviting you to join us on a journey to the Gershwin Theater and the magical land of Oz.
0: So settle in on your broom and get ready to sojourn with us on the fantastical journey into this wondrous world.
1: The hit musical Wicked opened at the Gershwin Theater on October 30th, 2003.
0: It was one of several highly anticipated shows to open that season, and it was very fitting that the show opened the day before Halloween. After an extensive workshop, development, and out-of-town tryout in San Francisco, the musical landed on Broadway. It was one of the first shows to be backed by Universal Pictures, and the first show to be developed and
1: produced by Mark Platt.
0: Though Universal Pictures' expertise is creating blockbusters on the screen, they certainly have succeeded in honing these skills for the stage.
1: The music and lyrics were written by Stephen Schwartz, and the book was written by Winnie Holzman. Truly a perfect marriage of counterparts, as Holzman's words play perfectly intertwines with Schwartz's soaring musical interludes and clever lyricism.
0: Tasked with creating the elusive world known as Oz was an ingenious crew of designers. Sets by Eugene Lee, lights by Kenneth Posner, sound by Tony Meale, projection by Elaine J. McCarthy, costume by Susan Hilferty, hair by Tom Watson, and makeup by Joe DeLude II. All of these elements we will be diving into more later on in the show.
1: To add life to this world, choreographer Wayne Salento was brought in. And tying the show all together is the unstoppable and brilliant director, Joe Mantello.
0: This show has numerous awards to its credit. Wicked has won six Drama Desk Awards, the 2005 Grammy for Best Musical Show Album, as well as one Olivier Award.
1: In 2004, it was nominated for ten Tony Awards. It would fly away with three. Best Actress in a Leading Role in a Musical Fredina Menzel, Best Scenic Design, Eugene Lee, and Best Costume, Susan Hilferty.
0: So let's get into the story. So the show starts with a giant map of Oz. As the Overture's plane, flying monkeys emerge, and they operate a crank that rises up the map to reveal the scene where the death of the Wicked Witch of the West has been announced.
1: The citizens of Oz begin to celebrate the death of the Wicked Witch of the West when Glinda enters via Flying Bubble. She then confirms that the Wicked Witch of the West is dead and explains
0: how she died. Ah, yes. Glinda, as she is confirmed, Comforting the citizens of Oz answers the question, are people born wicked or do they have wickedness thrust upon them? Glinda explains Elphaba's backstory and reminds the citizens of Oz the witch was a baby once. Her dad was the governor of Munchkinland. Her mother was a woman who fooled around behind uh, his back. That's an understatement. Uh, When her (laughs) father went away on a trip uh, one time, she had a fling with a traveling salesman. It's kind of how he's played off as. Um, and he seduced her with a a potion in a green bottle. A green potion in a bottle.
1: Then she becomes pregnant and goes into labor. Um, then uh, when the baby is born, it came out completely wrong. Like, it was obvious there was something wrong with the baby. And so from the moment she came into this world, she was unwanted.
0: And she was completely green. hmm As Glinda tries to make her exit, someone in the crowd asks if it was true that they were friends. And Glinda stumbles and then admits that they were friends at school. And as she begins telling this story, different actors re-enter uh, dressed as students. Finally, Elphaba makes her entrance as we travel to the past.
1: The students begin to sing their alma mater. They're, they're seeing and reacting to for the first time to Elphaba. Um, you know, oh my gosh, she's green. And then by the end of the song, uh, Glinda enters, riding atop a luggage cart full of her own luggage.
0: So the song comes to an end and everyone's staring at Alphaba. and she accosts the crowd and explains there's nothing wrong with her and as she is scolding the crowd, her father, the governor, arrives pushing her sister, Nessa Rose, in a wheelchair.
1: The governor, disregarding Alphaba, gives Nessa Rose jeweled shoes as a gift.
0: After the governor leaves and everyone's kind of hanging out, that's when Madame Morrible, kind of the headmistress, at Shiz University, enters and welcomes the students to Shiz University. Glinda Upland of the Upper Uplands introduces herself and asks if she can take her sorcery seminar.
1: Morrible says that she only teaches it if the right student comes along and then brushes her off. Dejected, Glinda returns to her friends to pout and
0: whine. Alphaba announces to Morable that her and Nessa have not received their room assignments like everyone else. And that's when Madame Morrible says she was not aware of Alphaba and has made arrangements for Nessa to stay with her. To fix this issue, she asks the crowd if anyone would volunteer to be her roommate. Glinda, being totally self-involved, turns to get Morrible's attention about the seminar and Morrible mistakes her as the volunteer uh, to room with Alphaba. Glinda is crushed.
1: She then dismisses the stu- students to go to their dorms, taking Nessa away with her. Alphaba, panicked and frustrated at her sister being taken from her, uh, uh, sorry, taken from her care, uses her powers to cause everyone to have like a spaz attack, and then Nessa is returned to her hands.
0: While everyone tried to recover, Nessa gets upset with Alphaba, and Alphaba apologizes saying she will control it better. Morable rebuffs her and says not to apologize for talent. She announces that she will teach her sorcery seminar to Alphaba only and to no one else. This shocks Glinda, who faints.
1: Filled with hope and optimism, Alphaba uh, sings the song The Wizard and I.
0: I do love that song. When she finishes, we come in, t- uh, we come in to see Alphaba and Glinda riding home to express their disappointments with their roommates in the song What Is This Feeling?
1: When the song is over, we are in the history class where we meet Dr. Dilliman. Uh, he's a goat professor, and we realize at this point that Elphaba is the only one paying attention to his lesson, and they're learning about the great drought um, that happened in Oz. And so when the uh, when Dr. Dilliman turns over the blackboard um, to begin the lesson, we see the words, animals should be seen and not heard painted in big letters on the blackboard in place of his notes um shocked and hurt dr dillman dismisses the class
0: everyone leaves the class but Alphaba she hangs around to comfort him uh they end up sharing lunch where dillman confides that something bad is happening to all the animals gnaws
1: after his warning uh madame Morrible comes in to see what had happened and dr dillman plays it off and madame Morrible ushers elphaba to her sorcery lesson
0: the scene then shifts to the school courtyard where a boy, asleep, arrives in a horse-drawn cart. He and his driver almost hit Elphaba, who scorns them for their dismissive behavior. We learn this boy is Fiero, a prince who has a reputation for being kicked out of school.
1: Galinda enters just then, being followed by a munchkin named Bach. Um, And Bach is professing his love to her. And then Galinda sees Fiero, and she convinces Bach to ask Nessa out instead of her, um, leaving her open to move on Fierro.
0: Fiero begins his negative influence on the student body by convincing them to stop studying and go out dancing.
1: Bach asks Nessa out to the Oz Dust ball- Ballroom while Fierro and Galinda are making party plans and getting ready. Nessa tells Alphaba of the good news... Alphaba goes to thank Galinda, who gives her a hat that she personally detests, while complimenting Alphaba on that very same hat.
0: We transition into the ballroom where everyone is having a good time, but Bach. Nessa tells him she knows he doesn't want to be there with her, and he pretends to enjoy himself.
1: While Fiero and Galinda are chilling, um, you know. As you so do the kids in,
0: are these in
1: the Asda's ballroom. <laughs> Madame Morrible approaches with a wand and lets Galinda know that at Elphaba's request, she will start sorcery lessons immediately.
0: Elphaba enters wearing the hat and a plain black dress. Everyone stops. They stare and they laugh. She stares down Galinda, who feels horrible. Elphaba decides to dance anyway. So... Galinda, feeling awful,
1: decides to join Alphaba and they end up having a great time and everyone joins it.
0: We then move to the girls' room where we can see their differences on display. Let's talk about a wall of shoes versus a wall of books. <laughs> Galinda is beyond excited about their new bond and can't wait to help Alphaba transition to being popular.
1: As the girls are sharing secrets, we learn that Alphaba sleeps with a tiny green bottle under her pillow to remind her of her mom, who passed away um, while giving birth to Nessa. Nessa Rose.
0: Yep. To cheer up Alphaba, Glinda tries to make her over. <laughs> Upon <laughs> seeing herself, she runs away. And I, when I say make over, she puts pink lipstick on her face, takes her hair down. Yeah, and then she tries to turn her frock into a ball gown. That doesn't go well. But then she adds a pink flower to her hair and she says pink goes well with green and I, it's a beautiful moment um
1: and so Galinda, without missing a beat returns to her self-absorbed self end scene <laughs> so the next day while at dr delman's class Alphaba is complimented by fiero on her new look um at this point dr delman rushes into the classroom to explain that he's being forced out of his teaching position um, and as he tries to explain, Madame Morble enters and has him escorted out while someone new comes in and takes his place.
0: The new professor has a lion cub in a cage and explains how this will keep the cub safe. And Elphaba realizes this will keep him from learning to talk as well. We see, um, we see the young cub scared and trembling. The man then attempts to sedate him with a large syringe after bashing the cage. With a, 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 like a metal rod of some sort. Alphaba, ready to burst with anger, sends everyone back into a spasm except for Fiero.
1: At this point, since Fiero and Alphaba are the only ones that are not affected and they are unsure as to why Fiero's not been affected, they both decide to come together and rescue the cub and take off with it.
0: The two run to a bridge and Alphaba, thinking Fiero was going to let the cub out there, scolds him. Fiero tells her. He's not as dumb as he acts and tells her to stay there while he takes the cubs somewhere truly safe.
1: Alphabet realizes that she has feelings for Fierro during this point. Um, and, it, and then she, this leads her to singing the song, I'm Not That Girl.
0: When she finishes, we realize it has been raining. This is when Madame Morrible enters. She reveals that she can control the weather and stops the rain uh, so she can tell Alphabet the good news. Turns out, Madame Morrible has let the wizard know of Elphaba, and he wants to see her in the Emerald City immediately.
1: This then takes us to a train station where uh, we see Elphaba making her goodbyes, we see Nessa Rose, we see Bach and Galinda. Um, who are seeing her off. There is some talk of the love triangle between Nessa and Bach and Galinda, but Galinda, of course, does not care, does not notice, because she's telling Elphaba how Fiero hasn't been his slacker self lately um, since the cub incident. So as she is weeping for Fierro, um, he shows up with flowers and awkwardly gives them to Elphaba for her journey and then leaves. Galinda is upset that he didn't notice her Um, So to cheer her up, uh, Elphaba offers Glinda, whom at some point during this scene has changed her name to Glinda in honor of Dr. Dilliman, because Elphaba, I mean, because Glinda, right, whatever. Um, But so at this point, Elphaba says, come with, offers uh, Glinda to come with her to the Emerald City.
0: The girls arrive and are swept away by the lights, culture, and green-centered fashion. Elphaba finally feels like she belongs. She's beaming by the time her and Glenda arrive at the wizard's palace.
1: Um, So they arrive at this, like, giant mechanical head who greets them with a a loud, booming voice. Um, And then all of a sudden, a small man appears from behind the head uh, once he realizes who has entered the room. And we learn that this... This man is the Wizard of Oz, and he explains how he arrived in Oz, and since he has no fa- family, he has dedicated his life to taking care of the citizens of Oz. What a good man.
0: Then Madame Morrible shows up and explains that she is now the Wizard's PR consultant, and the two of them would like Alphaba to prove her skill by performing a spell from the Grimmery to give the Wizard's monkey servant, Chissery, the ability to fly with the birds he enjoys watching. <laughs>
1: alphaba being a natural starts to perform a spell as she is going she sees um, that she's actually causing chistery pain um, so at this point Alphaba tries to stop but the wizard and Madame marble let her know that there's no undoing a spell so she finishes uh, so as she's finishing a pair of wings juts out of chistery's back and Alphaba is appalled with herself um, the the wizard and Madame marble are over the moon with the possibilities that can be done using Alphaba's power, um, and Alphaba, by like, it, is over there just horrified, and she attempts to flee the room with the Grimmery and uh, grabs Galinda in her hand on the her way out. At this point, the wizard is like, "Oh, we we can't let this happen," so he calls the guards to try to catch her, um, or sorry, catch the two girls as they run to the top of the palace.
0: Alphaba barricades the door with the broom that uh, was found. Glinda and Alphaba argue about what just happened, and as they are fighting, we hear Morrible we'll make an announcement that Alphaba, the wicked witch, is a dangerous criminal who must be stopped at all costs.
1: Alphaba realizes there's no going back to the way things were before all of this, and so she asks Glinda to join her to try to fix things during the song "Defying Gravity." Um, and Glinda denies her, and the guards break through the barrier. And Elphaba, thinking quickly, enchants the broom with the same spell that she used on Chistri, giving it the ability to fly. So at that point, things are coming to a head. She's singing this beautiful ballad, and she flies off into the night sky, telling the guards to just try and get her. And she makes a proclamation over Oz that no one will stop her. And then, boom, blackout. End one. End of Defying Gravity. Ugh.
0: At the top of Act 2, the map of Oz has already been brought back in during intermission. So the show starts, the on-track's going, uh, and that's what starts the show. And we open Act 2 with all the citizens of Oz talking about the fear and rumors surrounding the Wicked Witch of the West. As the map of Oz flies out, we see Glinda, Fiero, and Morrible on a pulpit about to speak to the citizens. It's very Evita-esque. Uh, Glinda states that even though this is a terrifying time right now, they can put it all aside for a moment and celebrate in the song. Thank goodness, Glinda is officially called Glinda the Good at this point by Morrible and Fiero. Um, oh, sorry, she's she's Glinda. She's called that by Morrible, and Fiero is named by Madame Morrible, the captain of the guard, uh, who was in charge of the hunt for Alphaba. While answering questions from the people of Oz, Fiero is informed that they are all gathered for a surprise engagement party for him and Glinda. Congratulations! (laughs) So
1: at this point, Fiero kind of grows uncomfortable uh, at the narrative being created for him and Glinda, the good, uh, you know, uh, and then him being the brave hero um, who's going to capture the Wicked Witch of the West, Elphaba, um, and then after being dismissed by Glinda, he leaves the party. So Glinda goes after him and says that, you know, they should be out there trying to help. Uh, or sorry, I'm so sorry. Uh, Glinda goes after him, but Fiero says that he thinks that they should be out trying to help Elphaba. But Glinda denies him and claiming claims that her duty is helping the people be happy and to raise their spirits. Um, and then Fiero kind of insists that Elphaba would be able to do the right thing, so they should be able to do the right thing, too. Glinda soothes him by saying that they both miss her, and maybe she doesn't want to be found. Fiero, seeing that she's right, uh, tells her, you know, I guess if it'll make you happy, I guess I'll marry you. And Glinda realizes that while she is getting what she wanted, she's not actually happy.
0: Yeah. Then the scene shifts uh, to the governor, uh, Governoress of Munchkinland's home. It's not the governors of Munchyland, uh, where we see a older and more stern Nessa Rose being waited on by Bach. We see an exchange that shows Nessa still loves Bach, but Bach is literally trapped. And that is the only reason why he is there. Bach leaves the room and Alphaba is then revealed in the wardrobe, frightening Nessa.
1: Alphaba then explains that she needs her father to speak on her behalf um, because she thinks that it will help convince the others that she's not really evil. Um, But that's when Nessa tells her that their father is dead and he died of embarrassment. And it's her fault. And now Nessa Rose is the new governess of Munchkinland. Um, And at this point, the two girls kind of have a heated argument. And Nessa remarks that Elphaba has spent all this time flying around helping the animals, but never once offered to help Nessa.
0: Elphaba explains that the magic is mysterious, but then has an idea to help her. She then casts a spell that turns Nessa's jewel shoes to Ruby, uh, the Ruby slippers, uh, and suddenly gives Nessa the power to walk after walking, she realizes this could be the greater turning point for her and Bach. So she calls for Bach, Alphaba um, not wanting to be seen by anyone begins to panic and looks for a place to hide.
1: Bach sees Alphaba and immediately panics and grabs something to be a weapon. He remarks that Alphaba is dangerous and a liar, just like her sister. Um, who has been a tyrant and stripped the munchkins of their rights, which they didn't have very many to begin with.
0: Nessa then shows Bach that she can walk and that things can be different. Bach is shocked by this and realizes that this is his chance to leave Nessa because she doesn't need him anymore. He claims that now he can go confess his love to Glinda before she marries um, since he is... marries uh fiero since he's <laughs> always loved her he's, he even says i lost my heart to glinda the day that i saw her
1: well of course this makes nessa furious and she says that sh- only she can have box heart so she grabs or rather snatches the grimmery from Alphaba and then tries to cast a spell well not knowing what she's doing uh, box starts to shout in pain that his heart feels like it's shrinking um, which causes Nessa to panic and demands Alphaba to do something. And Alphaba knows there's no reversing the spell, but she says she'll try to help.
0: Nessa sings a proclamation that she is the Wicked Witch of the East and is crushed by what she has just done. Alphaba has finished her spell on Bach, telling Nessa that he is sleeping and not to worry, for he no longer needs a heart. So it's okay that it's missing.
1: Elphaba realizes that she will never be enough for her sister, so she goes. Um, Which I personally think is good for Elphaba. Um, But Bach wakes up and discovers that he's been transformed into a Tin Man. Um, And he (laughs) runs away in fear and panic, and Nessa shouts after him that it was all Elphaba's fault.
0: The scene transitions to the wizard's palace, uh, where they're holding a ball in honor of the engagement of uh, Glinda and Fiyero, and Elphaba sneaking in to try and free the flying monkeys. And, uh, and these monkeys now have been exploited as spies for the wizard. The wizard sneaks into his lair where the giant mechanical head is, and he scares her, saying he knew she'd be back. He takes her broom so she can't escape. In their confrontation, the wizard tries to make amends,
1: he tells Alphaba that he's a phony, but the art of ruling is how you spin the story. Um, so, knowing that his charisma is a powerful skill, he tells Alphaba that he can tell the people of Oz that she is rehabilitated, um, and this will make them love her instead of fear her at this point. Um, and she agrees to this on one condition um, he will release all of the flying monkeys. Um, so, as he's making good on his word, Alphaba sees something animal-sized wandering around under a sheet and so she thinks it's a monkey so she goes to pull the sheet off to you know save it say hey you're free you're free and she reveals that that's not a monkey it's dr dilliman and he has lost all of his ability to speak
0: she is furious and hurt she announces that she will never stop until she defeats the wizard the wizard calls for the guards to come and help him
1: um and who should be leading the guards but fiero um who commands her to be silent and stay put he then instructs the guard to go and fetch the guards. sorry to go and fetch all the water that they can carry so that they can melt the witch because that's one of the rumors that's been going on about her um and so once they're gone he turns his gun to the wizard and um you know starts threatening him and then galinda rushes in and is very confused by the whole situation
0: He realizes there's no point trying to hide his feelings and he escapes with Alphaba. Madame Morrible arrives to see if the Wicked Witch has been captured as she just heard only to find out that the captain of the guard has just run off with the Wicked Witch. The wizard, seeing Glinda's hurt, offers a swig from a green vial. In a moment of pain, Glinda says that if they spread a rumor about her sister being hurt, Alphaba will come back out of hiding. Then she excuses herself.
1: After she leaves, Madame Morrible and the wizard discuss that a rumor isn't good enough and that Alphaba is too smart to believe a rumor. So Madame Morrible announces that it's time for a change in the weather.
0: The scene then shifts to the woods where we see Elphaba and Fiero finally alone and finally embracing. They share a passionate love song to each other. And at the conclusion, Elphaba admits that for the first time she is feeling wicked. <laughs> Not sure how to receive his love for her, she tells him not to lie to her. She knows she isn't beautiful. He tells her she is. He's just seen her differently than she sees herself.
1: As the winds pick up, we can hear someone calling for help. Elphaba realizes that it's Nessa Rose, and she has to go to her. Um, After being told that he can't join her, Fiero tells Elphaba that um, she can meet him at one of his family's unused castles, because, you know, Prince when the lights
0: come up we see the house laying on its side in a cornfield and the yellow brick road we also see galinda bidding someone farewell saying just take that one road all the way gosh i hope that's right i'm terrible at giving directions she then grabs some flowers and lays them down by the house and begins to weep and mourn the loss of nessa rose alphaba then appears remarking indignantly After a small spat, Elphaba asks for just a moment to mourn her sister. Glinda attempts to comfort her, which leads to another spat over the fact that Glinda just gave away the one thing Nessa left behind. A pair of shoes. The two, about to engage in hand-to-hand combat, get seized by guards. Glinda, for her own safety, and Elphaba as a captive.
1: Elphaba accuses Glinda of using her sister's death as a trap. Um, and then, just then, Fiero swoops in and points his gun to Glinda, proclaiming that he will shoot her unless they let Alphaba go. And no one wants to see Glinda the Good be killed, so they release Alphaba. And Fiero tells Alphaba, Go, go away now. And after a painful moment, she does, leaving him at the mercy of the guards.
0: Crying out his name, we see Alphaba at the castle trying to say an incantation to save Fiero's life. She is growing increasingly frustrated and realizes that no good deed will come from anything she does. Concluding that she has done everything she can to save him, she states, Let all laws be agreed. I'm wicked. Through and through. <laughs> As she hunkers down in the castle,
1: we transition to the mob of witch hunters that are assembling. Madame Morrible, of course, is being the ringmaster and riling up the crowd. We hear Bach, who is now a tin man, tell everyone how the Wicked Witch hurt him. And we also hear him speak for the Cowardly Lion, who was the small lion cub that her and Fiero saved. And now the crowd's all in a frenzy and ready to punish wickedness. So um, they all set out to go destroy the witch.
0: As the song winds down, we transition to the castle where Elphaba is holding the young Dorothy hostage until she gives her back. Her sister's shoes. What kind of a girl takes a dead woman's shoes? What, did you grow <laughs> up on a farm? <laughs> Glinda emerges and tries to reason with her and explain that a mob is coming for her. While the two are arguing, Chistery arrives with a message for Alphaba. She tries to encourage him to speak, but he won't. Alphaba reads the message, getting visibly upset. Glinda asks what that's about, but can tell from her reaction. It's about Fiero. Alphaba replies, We've seen Fiero's face for the last time. Both women are clearly upset.
1: So, you know, Alphaba's tired and she sees the writing on the wall and she decides to go out on her own terms. She goes and fetches a bucket of water and begins to make arrangements for her end. As she does, she gives Glinda the Grimary um, and Glinda says she can't read it and Alphaba says that she'll learn. She has to practice. And that's when the two share the heartfelt song for good. um, You know, explaining how they've both changed each other for the better and for good.
0: At the end, we can hear the mob arriving. Elphaba tells Glinda to hide. Meanwhile, Elphaba pulls a curtain across the stage along with the water. We then see the final battle acted out in shadow. We see Dorothy throw the water at Elphaba and we see her melt. Once the stage has gone silent, we hear Glinda call out for Alphaba, Alfie. As the soft music returns, Chistery pulls the curtain back, revealing just Alphaba's hat on the floor.
1: Glinda, at this point, breaks down and cries. Um, Chistery lifts up Alphaba's hat, and there's a little green vial that she used to keep under her pillow. So Chistery grabs it and is trying to get Glinda's attention. She doesn't notice him, and that's when he finally speaks he says her name glinda she turns to him and sees the vial and then starts putting pieces of the puzzle together
0: the scene rapidly transforms to the wizard's palace we are made to understand that the wizard has just given dorothy and her friends their gifts for defeating the witch madame morrible and the wizard notice glinda enter she reveals what she found after elphaba's death she points out to the wizard that the only other place she's seen a vial like that one was in this room with him. Suddenly it hits him that Alphaba was the wizard's daughter, and that's why she was so powerful, because she was a child of both worlds.
1: Glenda then tells the wizard to leave immediately, and she will excuse his sudden departure to the citizens of Oz, because she's so good. Uh, um, and then seeing that Madame Morrible is trying to find a way out, Glinda tells her that she will be going to jail
0: Glinda then prepares for her entrance uh, that we saw at the start of the show while this is happening, only half of the stage is lit for where Glinda is at Chistery comes over with the Grimery and hands it to Glinda then the other side of the stage lights up and we see what appears to be a scarecrow enter
1: the scarecrow begins looking around and finds the spot where the hat was left. He removes the hat and bangs on the floor. Alphaba pops Wee. out, and the scarecrow remarks, It worked. And they embrace in a kiss. That's how we discover that um, that's Fiero. And he says, It's okay. You did the best you can. And Alphaba says, He's still beautiful. Fiero says, "You don't have to lie to me," and Alphaba says, "It's not lying. It's just looking at things through a different
0: light." We hear the finale start, and Alphaba remarks that she just wishes she could tell Glinda where they are and that they're okay. Fiero replies with, "You know we can't. If we want to be safe." Elphaba and Glinda conclude the show by singing the end of "For Good" once more, while the rest of the cast sings, "No one mourns the wicked." Fiero and Alphaba exit up center stage through the clock. And as they do, blackout. So, that's the tale of Wicked. Good night, everybody. Tip your wages. No, I'm kidding.
1: Um, I mean, considering the show's what, like three hours? That, that was a really short synopsis. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The show is phenomenal. I it, It's been open now, I mean, for uh, going on 18 years. And if you haven't seen it yet, if you haven't been able to see it on Broadway or national tour or what have you, I mean, it truly is phenomenal.
1: There's just so many intertwining parts. And like when we were trying to go through everything to get ready for this podcast today, we had the hardest time finding like... Things to omit that wouldn't be like huge details, but everything in this show is a
0: huge detail. Yeah, we didn't want to make this a four-hour episode. <laughs> I mean, oh, the first thing I want to address—I mean, the humor in show. it's the show—it's it, the—it's that perfect balance of there. There is some dark humor in there, but there is just that great slapstick humor. Glinda is the epitome of slapstick vaudeville humor, and what's really great about the show is the the cast change, and I don't want to say constantly change, but, you know, we, we've been seeing the show well over 10 years now, and I feel like every time we go to see the show, the two leads are always different, and the the people who play these roles always bring something different to the mm-hmm. table. The lines don't change. The jokes don't change. It's the delivery of those lines and that that completely keep it fresh mm-hmm. and keep it great. Um, and you need that to balance out sort of that heavy drama
1: that Mm -hmm. does exist.
0: I mean, look, we all know the story of of The Wizard of Oz. We understand how it goes, or at least the movie. This is telling you how did everything come to be, and when you see this show, and you see this story, you see The Wizard of Oz through a different lens. Maybe Dorothy isn't as innocent as we thought. Yeah, Glenda the Good's intentions were well-meaning, but it's like, Wicked Witch of the West is not as horrible as we thought she was. Well,
1: and I think that it also really plays on that, like, what is wicked other than what the, the man or the government says it is.
0: Right. Um, you know, knowing that she, where she came from, where the deck was always stacked against her, and yet she still tried to do the best, even till the end, if you will. She was always having other people's best intentions at heart. Uh, at the end of the show, you know, she, she sacrifices, I say in quotes, herself for Glinda. She just wants to end it. And the person who benefits the most from it is Glinda. This is over. You now lead the charge. It's up to you to start a new chapter. We don't need to keep dragging this out. No one's ever going to be on my side. Call it a day. You know, um, I think that's really just fantastic.
1: Well, and if you ever get the chance to read the book um, that this is based on, um, it's based on a 1995 novel by Gregory Maguire called Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, And it's really good. I mean, the shows are definitely very different. So if you're going in expecting Wicked the Musical from the book, you're not going to get it. But it sets up that story plot structure that is just... Making us realize there's so much more um, than there was to the movie, which is what the book is based on. Is based on, you know, the the book, which
0: well, yeah, I get it. Or if, the
1: movie, it's based the the Wicked Witch of the West book is based on the Wizard of Oz movie, which is based on the books, right? Um, by L. Frank Bonham, Art and it, Baum.
0: And it's nice to know where these characters came from. I mean, the first time I saw Wicked, I just remember. When putting those pieces together, being like, oh my God, that's how the Tin Man game... Oh, that's how the Cowardly Line, Because when you see the film, which everybody knows, you just think it's it's a magical yeah, world. And there are these, these characters just, just...
1: Yeah, they just dipped right out and nothing happened until Knowing you saw them. they
0: all are intertwined, you go, holy cow. Also, I think that... Wicked being produced by Universal Studios, who owns the rights to The Wizard of Oz... They did a really good job of, of laying out that this is the story of how everything came to be, but they didn't beat us over the head with... Um, wizard of oz things yeah they said they did a lot of good tongue-in-cheek things to let us know that yeah this is to the wizard of oz like i said when they when the governor gives nessa rose the shoes they're jeweled shoes mm-hmm. we never hear the word ruby slippers right or like the fact that when they're at the oz dust ballroom and balk and nessa rose are hanging out and he brings her punch and uh-huh she goes, and what's in the punch and, and he, he says, says
1: melons and pears.
0: Mel- melons and pears and lemons and melons and pears. Oh, oh my. my. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you n- clearly know what they're referencing. But they never had to actually say it. They also say things like, you need to let the girl go and her little dog, Dodo. You know, they have all these great moments that but- it's the Wizard of Oz, but it's not the Wizard of Oz. It's mm-hmm. it's still uniquely wicked. And that that is something to be said because a lot of shows can poke fun at famous pieces of work. Um. And they have to do it in such a way that it doesn't cross that line of, of copyright. But when you're backed and you're owned by Universal Pictures, that's a big deal. And I want to talk about that because it's interesting. The rights of the story, which... Let me make sure I got this right. It's, it's, it's the book the that the musical was like inspired on, or based yeah, on. Yeah, like The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. So that was first sold to Universal Pictures... Um, and it wasn't until 1998 that Stephen Schwartz called the producer Mark Platt and he persuaded him that, hey, we need to produce a film adaptation for this. Um, you know, and I, and I would imagine if I were in that room, like Universal Pictures is probably mulling over the idea of making a movie version of this first. And then Stephen Schwartz was like, I, 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 I think a musical on the stage is going to be better. And... Look, I know, eventually they're going to make this film. I mean, for the last 10 years they've been talking about we're going to make a film of this.
1: Right, but I just don't think that it's going to hold up the same candle that the musical does. You
0: don't get the same... You will not get the same experience on the screen mm-hmm. that you do in the theater. Watching Alphaba fly up at the end of Act 1 and you're like, holy gosh... And in fact, let's talk about that. Yes. Alphaba doesn't fly on a typical fly system. There are not wires attached to her back and then they pull her up and fly her. There's a giant um it's it's like an arm, like a crane in the back. And it and she hooks into the back of it and it pivots up and it raises her up.
1: And she is so far up that she's practically like she's like a foot away from the lighting fixture.
0: Yeah. It and, and it's it's a beautiful moment. In fact, I real quick, I, I do want to go back to that scene. It's a beautifully Um, directed and put together seeing what's great in that moment in Defying Gravity we've got Elphaba we've got Glinda up in the top of the castle and you know they use the broom and they're fighting and everything and all of a sudden the broom pops up and it's been enchanted and Elphaba is holding the broom and she says to Glinda you know get on we're going to fly away we're going to do anything and we're unstoppable and Glinda has that moment she kind of goes no not me and Alphaba's trembling, and Glenn goes, "You're trembling," and she goes in the back, and she pulls out a cape, and she puts this cape around her, and that is the first moment. Well, it's not that, even a cape; it's like a, it's like a pe- a scrap of
1: fabric. Right,
0: but it looks like a cape, and it's the first moment that Alphaba looks like cl- what what we what we have seen or we can kind of identify as the wicked witch of the west, that classic image. And what's great when she flies. Is when that mechanism pulls her up. What they use to mask it is this giant. There's these two giant pieces of black fabric. They're huge, and they're meant to look like um, her cape. Or for those of you who are who've seen the movie, my my older people, when the Wicked Witch of the West ever flies, what follows her broom? Mm-hmm. Smoke. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really brilliant and then of course, you know, the actor the, the ensemble comes out from underneath her and Well and they, it
1: really makes it look like she's flown up above everyone in Oz and Yeah, it's it's so Oh
0: I, I can't get over that. I mean moment.
1: that Defying Gravity just oh my gosh, everything about that scene blows my mind, makes me feel alive. And, like, the moment where Elphaba's singing the climax of the song and you see the blues, the purples, and the greens hitting her face just right as they streak through the light. Like, on, oh, my gosh, it's so beautiful. It doesn't matter
0: if it's her first or 50th, You, it moves you. I love, love the character journey that we see Alphabet go on. She comes in as this very defensive I don't want to say like scorn, but she is, you know, kind of just. She has a bone to pick. It's like a a a a a wounded puppy or something, you know. They're very, they won't trust anyone. They're very hurt. They're very aggressive, but as kindness is shown towards them, they start to open up and they start to feel, if you will, and seeing, Elphaba go on that journey where she starts to be like, I feel love, I'm feeling loved. In addition to feeling love, things like that, I'm feeling accepted. Things she has gone so long without feeling and realizing that circumstances are almost forcing her to pick one or the other. Mm -hmm. And even at the end of the day, she still stands by her guns and goes, no, I have to do the right thing. Her journey is amazing. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, and... I mean, there's just so many great things about this show
0: that we could talk about for I, I wanna ages. Go, I want to talk about, real quick, before we go to... Uh, the thing I want to close this section out with is the costumes. We, we'll talk for hours on costumes, but... We could talk about You mentioned the forever. lights. You know, the lighting is phenomenal. Especially because... Interesting thing. For, for people out there who are actors or in the theater, you're going to know this. Anyone else who's listening, here it is. And... and the worst color to light an actor in is green. So I've been told I'm speaking from my knowledge. If there's anyone out there in the field of lighting who wants to discredit this go Utes. But green is the hardest light to, it's not flattering, right? Um, is green and you have to light her in green and When you have Elfo with others on stage, the way that they've balanced and and programmed that, it works so well. It works so well. It's genius at work. You throw under that the set, the set that is simple, it mm-hmm. carries through the entire show. It's not what you think. Like, it's not these elaborate, detailed... No,
1: but they feel elaborate and detailed. Yeah. Like, you... they suck you into the world, and you're like, oh, that wasn't really there?
0: You're literally see what I love about this. The entire show basically takes place in a clock.
1: Mm-hmm. Which, and not a lot of people, unless you've read the the book, know that everything in Oz is kind of controlled by the time dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's not a lot of time to be able to reference that except for maybe once or twice in the musical but that's where that clock thing came came from everything exactly Mm
0: -hmm. and you know so you see it at first you kind of go i don't get why that why are all these set pieces looking like with all these cogs and that doesn't really look like a castle or we're in a clock we're in the middle of time so let's talk about these costumes Mm -hmm. like guys Again, if you haven't seen the show, I'm sure you've seen a clip of it. The woman that designed these, I mean, genius. Absolutely. Asymmetrical
1: and, to well, the nth degree.
0: Gender <laughs> fluid clothing yeah. that you don't even realize is gender fluid. The patterns are just they're the patterns the patterns in the show not only work when the actors are standing still, but when the actors are in motion, the, the scene I'm thinking of the most is dancing through life. And I'm thinking of the skirts that both the men and women wear, and when they're spinning around, these mm-hmm. beautiful black and white patterns that just add a, another layer of texture, another element to the stage mm-hmm. that really makes it pop. And I'm like, who's thinking of that when you're designing? Like, that's brilliant. Well, and
1: with for me, the one that gets me is... Um, one short day when they're in Oz, yes. and all the different layers of greens and blues and yellows that come together that just make you feel positively emerald, and you don't even realize the different colors and textures, but all the shapes have similar movements. There's the one that wears the really cool hat that like spins around, Yes, yes and yes, yes, also yes. goes with like the mermaid dress, and I'm just oh, I could talk forever. No
0: two costumes. Are the same.
1: There are, like, standard pieces that are written in every single one. But oftentimes, when a new member comes onto the show, they will have, like, a a slightly different costume that still fits in that world.
0: I meant, like, in these bigger numbers, like One Short Day or Thank Goodness, no two costumes that you see on stage are the same. Yeah. You know, two men are not wearing the same kind of suit. There is clearly a difference in it. And... These are not like I went down to the Macy's and I picked out a couple of, you know, shirts or whatever. These are couture. This is all handmade in-house for the show. And uh, we're going to get more into this, but we actually have a friend in the Broadway production who is, you know, filled us in on stuff. And like a couple of the other shows we've spoken of, each actor has a set of costumes that is just for them. If you are a swing and you go on, you don't jump into the person who you're swinging in for's costume. You have your own set that was built just for you. So when you leave the show, so go your costumes.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, um, we did the, there's a like behind the Emerald Curtain tour that you can do for Wicked. Highly
0: recommended by and the And
1: they have on display pieces from the show and Alphaba's black dress that she wears for act two actually has like a spell beaded into the collar oh yes and or is that Morble or is it both of them it might be I, both of them
0: the <laughs> thing that blew my mind was that um Alphaba's act two black costume is beaded there's a lot of bead work and i was like mm-hmm. and there's purples and blacks yeah, so. and, and i was like i didn't now, look, I've never seen the show on the orchestra level. So, hey, yeah, look, if you've seen it there, you might have noticed it. But from the balcony, I was just like, cute. She's in her black frock again. That's great. And I, But you do notice in Act 2, there is a difference in the costume. And I thought it was just the way she was carrying herself. But now that I've seen that up close, I'm like, it's those little subtle things that you can't put mm-hmm. your finger on what. But it, <laughs> it's, it's there.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, all I'm saying is if they wanted to come out with a couture like or not even a couture, but just like a slightly branded version of the Wicked clothing, like the costumes, I would buy that. I would buy it. Just if you're listening, Universal, I would buy <laughs> that for everyday wear.
0: So Wicked is a show with a lot of fun facts and stellar landmarks.
1: Starting with the fact that Wicked is currently the fifth longest running show on Broadway with 6,833 performances to date.
0: The show is also consistently breaking box office records around the world. In July of 2017, Wicked surpassed the Phantom of the Opera as Broadway's second highest grossing musical. Over $1 billion in total revenue and still climbing. The only show that makes more is Disney's The Lion King.
1: A fun fact about the show is that while it was in development during the reading and workshops, the roles of Glinda and Elphaba were played by Kristen Chenoweth, whom Schwartz had in mind when he was writing the part of Glinda, and Stephanie J. Block for Elphaba. When the show moved into the tryout phase in San Francisco, Idina Menzel was then cast as Elphaba.
0: But they're not the only notable cast members to grace the Great Green Stage. Others include Joel Gray, Norbert Leo Butts, Annalie Ashford, Megan Hilty, Tay Diggs, Aaron Tavett, Rue McClanahan, Alex
1: Brightman, Robin De Jesus, Cassie Levy, Teal Wicks, uh, Lindsay Mendez, Tilly Lung, uh... Kara Lindsay, and finally Stephanie J. Block.
0: I'm sure we left off some very notable people from that list. And to them, I apologize. I also encourage you to log on to Playbill.com and go to their vault to see the full list of the amazing performers to grace this show. I just want to throw out one more important and fun fact uh, in here real quick. Just so you all know this, inside the Gershwin Theater is the Theater Hall of Fame. Um, it's on the, it, it stems from like the main level of, of the theater. Like oh, you go up one escalator and I'll, I'll say that's the main level and it goes all the way up to the top tier and it's on the, I want to say it's on the, uh, um, north side, south side of the theater. You're not going to know directions, but it's over by the bathroom side. Um, and it's in this giant kind of circle and they have up there every year, you know, uh, like and like, um, placards the year and the names of the inductees so the next time you are in the uh, theater uh to see this great show be sure to stop over there and see it um there are some amazing names on there including like jerry orbach carol channing and michael bennett let's now talk about the impact this show has had on theater and its history Okay, so let's be real. I know we keep saying this, but I feel like, uh, for those of you who've kept up with us, this is episode three. We've now done a musical from the 80s and of the opera 90s, Beauty of the Beast. Here we are in the 2000s. Look, this is another show that has brought a whole nother generation to the theater, you know? And it's great, not just to the theater, like, you know, oh, popular theater, <coughs> excuse me, to the live theater.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean... I remember when this show came out, there was a whole new bunch of people that I went to school with that were like, yeah, live theater. I want to see Wicked. Whereas there there wasn't that before. They're like, oh yeah, you know, Beauty and the Beast happened. Eh, Lion King happens. But yeah eh.
0: I, I mean, I remember when this show came out, I'm going to date myself a little here. <clears throat> I was in <laughs> high school as a sophomore and I was doing Color Guard. It was Winter Guard. And I remember... Um, you know, I a band and a theater geek, and I'm proud of it. But uh, my color guard—they were obsessed with the soundtrack. And I'm just thinking, guys, this is a musical theater album, and they're like, "Yeah, this is the greatest thing ever." And I was like, "All right, like, I'm I'm really glad you guys are digging in the musical theater. Like, have you heard of this show, Rent? I'm about to blow your mind, you know. But, um. Yeah, the fact that it's been able to bring it awoke a generation of theater girl, theater goers, the same way Rent and Beauty and the Beast and Hamilton did. You know, it stuck with that generation. It brought them in droves. Like every song from the show is a hit. Everyone knows it. Everyone's singing it in their car. Um, it brought generations together. Uh, united by their love for that classic story, the film, you know, The Wizard of Oz. Grandma Mm -hmm. was like, I love this movie, uh, and and now I can connect with the show. And the kids were like, I love this show, and now I want to go see that movie. This was a great bridge to to connect the two. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, and really just this whole idea that, you know, like, it's this, like, modern mega-musical. I would say
0: it created the modern mega-musical. Yeah, Like, like,
1: this is that thing that made everyone go... I like musical theater. Oh, Wicked, you haven't heard of Wicked? Well, let me tell you about Wicked. Yeah, and I'm not
0: saying that, I mean, look, from the size, the cost, everything, it raised the bar up to what a mega musical was. Um, I'm going to speak out of turn here and just say, prior to Wicked, I think the biggest musical on Broadway, like mega musical up to that point, was The Producers, Uh and the costumes alone with that one. But even that, like, you put the producers on one side and Wicked on the other, and you look at the two, and, I mean, the technology and everything, Wicked kind of raises that up. And I think it's hard for us now here in 2021 to, to go back 17 years and see that, but that's another conversation for another time. The branding, the logo, it's become one of the most recognizable in theater history and around the world. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that that white and black and green logo with the two witches. You know who that is. You know know what what the red lips and mm, well and
1: you know before I had ever even seen Wicked I had to have a Wicked shirt. Yeah. I needed a Wicked shirt that had the Wicked logo with the flying monkeys or at least the two witches on the cover. Yep.
0: Ugh, I needed it. So in our opening clip, we talk, You know, we were in the theater, and I mentioned wanting to go to the boutique. Their uh, merchandise store around the theater is called the Oz Dust Boutique. Which, you know, mm-hmm. Clever. Truly, everyone, go and see the show five times, five different times. Go five different times of the year. They have different merchandise, and I feel like they swap it out like every few months. But every year when we would go, there'd be a new shirt. There'd be a new, uh, you know. Piece of jewelry.
1: And uh, it's just amazing. And Christmas
0: shopping to its best right I mean, if they were
1: to start to sell formal wear that was based on the clothing from the show, I'm just saying. Sorry, I could obsess. Like I said, I'm obsessed with the brand.
0: It has become a great accelerating vehicle for many past and present notable performers. There have been mm-hmm. so, like we mentioned before, all the notable uh, actors and actresses that have graced the great green stage. It, I don't want to say it's kind of like a rite of passage when you come to Broadway, but just seeing the people who have, you know, come from the tour and then come on to the Wicked and they've gone on to other great things. When we were listing just those people, you know, just that short little snapshot, Two of those people who were in Wicked, um, Teal Wicks and Stephanie J. Block, just played in the Share show. And they, you know, that that to me is incredible. That I'm like, I'm just saying, you know, it's almost like all roads lead through Wicked kind of thing, you know. It's true. Um, and look, it brought the classic Tale of the Wizard of Oz to the stage for modern times. And we, I know the Wiz, which, mm-hmm. hello, Revival. Anyone out there hearing my voice? I think it's time for a Revival. But we the wizard of oz the musical is decent but this is like a modern retelling of the wizard of oz for the ages
1: well and what it does is it shifts the story point of view you know in the wizard of oz it's all about oh poor dorothy and dorothy has to get home and you know that in of itself is a good enough story with great storytelling elements but wicked Flips the script, goes on the other side of the page, takes what really is like a smaller character from the movie and who doesn't have a lot of like screen time, mm-hmm. and makes that person the star of the show. And goes, listen, we all exist and we all have our stories, mm-hmm. so maybe we should explore those.
0: Let's talk about the so, uh, societal, the societal impact. Look, the show has had so many references in pop culture. Um, it's been on The Simpsons. It's been referenced on Family Guy, New Girl. And the song Popular even makes an appearance in the movie Zombieland. Mm-hmm. In fact, Drake and Mika uh, also separately. Has, yeah, separately have had samples of Popular in songs uh, that, that they released. released. In fact, uh, when I work my day job and I'm working away uh, shopping at Target, I can tell what time of day it is when the Ariana Grande and Mika... Remix of Popular comes on. I'm like, oh, here we are.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, even other shows on Broadway start to parody the show. So that's when you know you've really made a Oh, thing. yeah. Um, like, in Shrek... When uh, Lord Farquaad's singing his little song or whatever, and everything's the end, up in
0: Dulwich or whatever, yeah,
1: and then he does the little, you know, uh,
0: defying, ah, gra- ah, yeah, he does the defying yeah. gravity riff. They also do it a little bit and bring it on, so yeah, I mean, it's it's now the thing to cut, not and, and, it, and it's, it's the standard, it's as they said, uh, in Broadway, the American musical, that PBS special. What was great in vaudeville about making fun of the jews and the irish and the italians during that time was it wasn't necessarily just about like the oh look we're making fun of them but by making fun of them we were including them it's not that we're they these shows are making fun of wicked in a negative way it's it's a form of admiration it's almost like a roast you know Mm -hmm. it's like hey we see you we see you (laughs) in in this in these times where we're really coming to social awareness, I think what's really worth noting is the colorblind casting. They... Each role is not defined by a race, and I love that. For instance, um, all major roles have been played by people of color. Most recently, Glinda uh, was played by an actress of color, Brittany Johnson. Um, we have had an Elphaba of color. We've had um, Tay Diggs played Fiero. I mean... This, to me, is phenomenal because I think there are roles out there that truly like, race and color matter. If we're going to do a play and Martin Luther King Jr. is going to be in that play, I think that race kind of needs to matter. But when we're talking about the wonderful Wizard, the The wonderful World of of Oz, Oz, where it's magic and creative, I think it's an important message to send that the color of your skin doesn't matter in this moment. Well, and especially that's not because, even the focus of the show. We don't because there's one character whose skin is green, so and we all hate them at first, and we grow to love them, and then we hate them again, but for all the wrong reasons.
1: Hmm. Well, and I think that this show just really, you know, drives home the point that it doesn't matter what you look like; it matters what you do.
0: And so, my hats are off to the the entire company of Wicked for for doing colorblind casting. I think that's really important and a huge societal impact. Um, It's an inspiring show of good over evil. And we've been talking... We keep hammering that point home about their stories and everything, but really, like... Most people thought that they knew the story of how the witches came to be, and you just... You don't know. I think the most wicked witch in the show is the Wicked Witch of the East, and she does that because she gets her heart broken. She's a woman who just had her heart broken. And... She's also kind of entitled, and when things kind of dissipate from her, that's when, you know, she, she, she the, 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 she grasps at straws yeah, the straws to try negative to salvage. Yeah, come out, you know, no one is admiring me, no one is taking care of me, no one really loves me, and I'm going to take that out. Where Alphaba, who that's been the story of her whole life. Even then, doesn't do horrible things to people. See, I
1: would argue that the most evil witch in this entire show is Madame Marble. That's fair. Because here's here's the thing. They talk about the wizard coming in to save the citizens of Oz from the Great Drought. And Madame Morrible
0: controls the weather.
1: So, did she make the drought, or is she just choosing not to do anything about that's it? That's
0: a really good point. That's a really, really good point.
1: So, I think she's the she is the mm. utmost evil character yep. in the entire show. And the wizard, yeah, he lied. He did it for glory and fame. But why did Madame Morrible do it? And no, that's, that's the question I, didn't I have. Even
0: put Madame Marble in the same category of the witches, and she totally qualifies. So that's mm-hmm. a good point. It's a great message, telling people to embrace their differences and look for others who are different, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and I, you can't get a better message than that. You know, you know, opposites attract. You know, we see that between Glinda and Alphaba, but also Alphaba and Fiero. They are opposites in the beginning, but if you look at the end of the show, everyone's journey and where everyone's at, they're all really just the same. Mm -hmm. And they come to realize that, that we, you know, it's that, that classic monologue, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? You know, they finally realize we're all just people and we, and, and, and they challenge each other about that. I think that's great, which leads me to they're all honest and the honesty that exists between friends. That's when we get the truest moments. It's when we get the best moments is when they're honest between each other when mm-hmm. Elphaba confides in the Glinda about her dark past, about why her father hates her, or when Glinda confides in Elphaba about how fierro has been thinking and he's been different, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Um, and I think that really leads us to, is this show still relevant? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. It's a tale that never gets tired. The show's been on Broadway now 18 years, but it's still just as fresh and new as when it premiered that October Eve. You know, the jokes are so funny. Each performer, like I said, brings something different. Uh, The show continues to inspire countless performing (laughs) performing artists and audiences alike to seek out the theater, either as a passion or a profession, you know? And And that's
1: the most important thing a show can do. Exactly. It continues to bring audiences in and acts as many people's first introduction to a Broadway show. Yeah, It introduces them to a wonderful world of the wonderful world of theater. um, And it uses a very clever and relatable story with familiar music. Like at this point, even if you've never seen Wicked or listened to the album, you know the music from Wicked. Oh, yeah. I mean... Even at my high school graduation we sang for good.
0: Everyone had for good at you the know? graduation, right?
1: Um and it is I mean it's a spectacle and it's it's magical in and of itself and it will always impress and it hooks audiences in and encourages them to look more sh- look for more shows like it.
0: And it also carries a great message of loving others no matter what they look like. I know we've been saying that but I think it bears repeating, right? Always. Uh, that those who are different have more in common that, with us than we think, and that our differences are really skin deep. Mm-hmm. Or green skin deep, however you want to look at it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. As promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show.
0: Yep. Uh, I have had the pleasure of seeing the show a total of 16 times. 14 times on Broadway and twice on tour when it came through here in Salt Lake City. And I
1: have seen it 13 times, 11 times on Broadway and twice on tour as well here in Salt Lake.
0: So my first story, and this is one of my favorites. So um, when I was in high school back in 2006... Uh, my drama class was going to take a trip to New York in the summer of 2006. And shortly, about few days, uh, two or three days before the trip was scheduled to leave, we found out that the company that we'd booked the trip through went bankrupt. It was a big scandal, big to-do. Um, I had just become the drama club president, and between myself and the outgoing drama club president, we spent 70, the next 72 hours straight Putting this trip back together, finding out what we had, what we didn't. We found out we had plane tickets. We found out we had most of our theater tickets. We were basically lacking a couple of our tours and a hotel, which wonderful people in the city of New York um, hooked us up with tours. And then the hotel, the Sheridan, was kind enough to reinstate our um, reservation for a small fee. Well, after being up for 72 hours straight, (laughs) we flew out there on the Red Eye. We get out there. And we get settled in and we went to dinner that night and then we first show we saw is Wicked. Now this is my return to New York. I'd previously seen the other two shows we had talked about back in 1996. It's been 10 years since I've been to New York. Three days straight of being awake we go to the Gershwin Theater. We're in the very back row of the theater. The lights go down and we're all just so tired and our eyes get heavy and they begin to close. And the minute that orchestra starts boom! Our eyes just pop wide open and i will never forget me and my friends um back row end of act one was up there just ah, and we are just weeping we are just in tears we didn't care how exhausted we were we were like oh my gosh this is like a life altering experience ah it was incredible so how can you get better than that well flash forward to a couple days later when we're on one of those tours that people in new york helped put up for us and it comes to be that, uh, behind the emerald curtain tour that we mentioned. So we're wandering around and it leads at one point to the second floor where they have the Oz dust boutique, the gift, gift shop. And we're looking around, we're shopping, we're just kind of chilling. And again, I've mentioned before the, uh, documentary, um,
1: Broadway, the American musical. That's the one
0: on PBS. And in that show, uh, Mark Platt, who is uh, the producer of Wicked, he's on there and he gives an interview. So there's this guy kind of hanging out on the side. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, that guy like looks really familiar. How do I know him? How do I know him? And it finally dawns on me. I was like, oh, my God, that's Mark Platt. So precocious me, all of 17, not knowing anything, just walks over and I go, hi, you're Mark Platt, right? And he goes, yes. Let's have, I recognize you from Broadway, the American musical. And we just saw Wicked the other night. And it's such an amazing show. And thank you so much. And we get to chat and he's like, where are you from? I'm from Salt Lake city. And we start talking about the tour. And I said, I'd love if the tour came through eventually. And he lets it in that, Hey, the tour is, it's coming to Salt Lake city. it'll become, we'll be announcing that soon. It'll be coming later that year. And sure enough, Uh, When we got back a few weeks later, our local Broadway across America announced the big show this year, Wicked. And I was just like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally knew that one, Um, which was amazing. Um, God, I guess I'm the one with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, these are mostly your stories. (laughs) um, So
0: I am an actor by trade, but I'm also a dresser in the theater. And I worked at Pioneer Theater, very proud of it. And I had the amazing amazing blessed opportunity to work with a wonderful actor mm-hmm. send up to Jonathan Shu. Seriously, anybody out there who gets the opportunity to work with him, it, you are so in luck. He's one of the nicest, kindest, funniest guys I've ever had the privilege of working with. Um, and in working with him, I learned that he played, uh, in the ensemble as well as the understudy for Fiero on the second national tour of Wicked. And oh, wow. if anybody's ever gotten to see him or meet him, it fits. Um, and then, of course, I mean, I could go on and on about stage joining the people we've met. Uh, I've got pictures. Um, if anybody Facebook stalks me <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Stephanie J. Block and Lindsay Mendez, who played Elphaba, Kara Lindsay, who played Glinda, Derek Klinna, who played Fiero. We got to meet Ben Vereen, Broadway legend Ben Vereen, who played the Wizard. Um, and Mary Testa and Jane Howdy Show, who played Madame um, Morrible. Now, all of that's great fun and all.
1: But here's where I'm going to kind of take over for a second. So, uh, I also worked at Pioneer Theater, um, which is a uh, regional theater here in Salt Lake City. Um, and I was working a show called Sweet Charity.
0: Sweet Charity.
1: And uh, I met a fantastic woman. Um, who I only had one and a half changes who I helped her with because I was working as a dresser. And I only briefly ever saw this woman, but she was so sweet, so kind, and it left such a lasting impression on me. Um, But that would be Miss Courtney Iventosh.
0: Oh, how amazing she is.
1: She is just such an amazing human. She she really is. But so uh, after meeting her, you know, I found out that she had played, done a tour of Wicked, and... She was in the
0: ensemble, and then she played Nessa Rose on the tour. hmm Yep.
1: And so, you know, just getting to know her was great, and so then when we went out to New York, she was just so kind that I, you know, felt comfortable, you know, saying, hey, we're in town, we'd love to see you, um, and we actually got to see her in Something's her, Rotten. Her Broadway
0: debut in yes. Something Rotten. <laughs>
1: um, which was really great, and so we've just, you know, developed a friendship from there, which is really fantastic, but she also
0: currently... Um, she's in the ensemble, she's a swing, she's gone on for Anessa Rose for a while. No, she's gone on for Alphaba's uh, mother. Uh, that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but she... Guys, if you ever have a friend that is in the professional theater, your heart just lights up when you see them. And it's truly, the first time we it's get like to see like mama her.
1: movements. Yeah,
0: we, we were in the back the balcony and the curtain goes up and Courtney was on as uh, in the ensemble. And we immediately was like, where's Courtney? There she is. And it was like, I don't care anything else about the rest of the show. I'm watching her and everything that she's doing. And she is the most giving and wonderful, kind actress and human. And after the show, she took us backstage. That's
1: the way we were able to see actually behind the Emerald Curtain, but there's not Uh, a lot we can tell you about that.
0: Yeah, no, we can't give away all those secrets. But Seriously, uh I don't know if she's going to listen to this or not, but Courtney, we love you. Thank you for everything you do. We cannot wait to see you back on the stage where you belong and where you were meant to be, you amazing human. As things begin to return to normal and the theater world starts to turn its lights back on, we look forward to returning to see this show again.
1: You'll be able to catch Wicked on tour. Uh, Here in the United States, starting August 3rd in Dallas, Texas. You can also catch the show in London's West End uh, at the Apollo Victoria Theatre in September.
0: You can catch Wicked eight times a week at the Gershwin Theatre, located at 222 West 51st Street in New York City. Beginning September 14th. Can we just take a moment to let that sink in? Broadway is back this fall, folks. Get excited.
1: (laughs) You can find tickets for the Broadway production at Ticketmaster.com, WickedTheMusical.com, or by stopping by the box office at the Gershwin Theater.
0: I cannot emphasize this enough. Please go out and support live theater in any way you can. Now more than ever, it's never been so important.
1: We look forward to doing our part to welcome back the theater by making it stronger and better than ever.
0: So, until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones.
1: Unwrap your candies. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like,
0: and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Music for Wildlife by Fox. Other music on this episode provided by Glad Rags, Jesse Spill Uncle Bibby, Mad Sky, U.S. Army Blues, and Billy Murray.